Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. All are welcome here. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Our topic today is deepen your spiritual practice through the Dharma of poetry. We'll be exploring how poetry can open up new ways of thinking, feeling, and being in the world. I'm so delighted to be joined today by John Brem. John Bram is the author of several books of poetry and editor of the anthology, The Poetry of Impermanence, Mindfulness, and Joy. His most recent book is a collection of essays called The Dharma of Poetry, which we will be discussing today. His poems have appeared in numerous publications, including Poetry, The Writer's Almanac, Poetry Daily, The Best American Poetry, The Norton Introduction to Literature, and many other journals and anthologies. John Brem teaches for Mountain Writers Series in Portland, Oregon, and for the Lighthouse Writers Workshop in Denver, Colorado. He offers a monthly poetry as spiritual practice gathering, and with his wife, Alice Boyd, leads mindfulness retreats that incorporate Feldenkrais, awareness through movement lessons, guided meditations, and mindful poetry discussions. He lives in Portland, Oregon. You can find out more about John Brem and his programs at his website, johnbrempoet.com, and the Brem is B-R-E-H-M, again, johnbrempoet.com. We'll be posting this link on our website, theyogahour.com. Welcome, John Brem. I'm so glad you could join me today on the Yoga Hour. Thanks, Laurel. Yeah, I'm, I'm just delighted to be here. So before we dive into our dialogue about deepening your spiritual practice through the Dharma of poetry, let's dive in to a moment of contemplation. Dive into a present moment, really being present here and now. Oh. So let's begin by bringing our attention to our body, our body in space, whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting or standing, walking, just feeling our body in space, and in particular, feeling the surfaces that support our weight, feeling every part of our body that is supported. And then turning our attention to the breath, and just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath, noticing the next inhale, and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. 
And on the exhale, feeling the warm air as it flows out. And just resting here, <clears throat> continuing to notice our breath. Here's something to contemplate from the founder and spiritual director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, from her book of poetry, The Moon Reminded Me. The name of the poem is Someone Has Left the Door Open. <clears throat> Someone has left the door open. Fantastic. Someone has left the door open to the inner sanctum. Now, all the pilgrims are running back home, shouting praises, their faces radiant with the light that surrender brings. Turn around and you'll see the one you've been looking for has found you. Fantastic. Someone has left the door open to the inner sanctum. Now all the pilgrims are running back home, shouting praises, their faces radiant with the light that surrender brings. Turn around and you'll see the one you've been looking for has found you. Oh. Once again, John Brem, welcome to the Yoga Hour. As I mentioned, it's just delightful to have you on the show and to talk about poetry and how poetry can help us to deepen our spiritual practice. I know that you're a poet and writer and that you also practice and teach mindfulness. So how has being a poet impacted your spiritual practice how do how do poetry and spirituality come together for you in your life yeah that's that's a great, great question and something i've been um you know thinking about uh for a long time now and um bringing poetry and spiritual practice kind of into greater alignment or integration uh in my life um you know, there, there's many ways that they intersect. But for me, you know, as I was thinking about this this morning, um, poetry really has kind of become my primary spiritual practice. So it's not that so much that there's my spiritual practice over here and my poetry practice over here, and they kind of intersect at times. It feels more and more like poetry is my spiritual practice. So it's mm. what I do. Um first thing in the morning, uh, I do my writing, reading poems, but, you know, reading poetry, writing, teaching it, um, all those things are, uh, for me, deeply spiritual. And poetry, you know, even when I first started writing it, although I wouldn't have been able to, to kind of name it in this way, but it always has felt like a way to get closer to the sacred, mm. to some kind of mysterious quality of of um, presence that can't really be described but can be accessed uh, through poetry. Um, it's helped me kind of have a sense of the aliveness, the of being in a universe that's awake and alive and aware uh, in a way of, of responding to that quality that is Again, mysterious, hard to name, 
um, but uh, possible to feel and feel deeply. And I feel like poetry uh, helps me do that. And it, you know, it helps me um, attune to the world in a different way, to pay attention, to attend to the world uh, with a particular kind of attention that is free from, you know, kind of grasping and um, needing to know, needing certainty, um, a more open, fluid, flowing kind of attention that is um, just a way of being with the world, uh, not even so much trying to understand it or comprehend it, but to be with and to allow the world to open. Um, so those are some of the ways I feel like those, my spiritual practice and poet, poetic practice are getting more aligned or integrated. Yeah. One of the things I, I appreciated about your book, The Dharma of Poetry, that we're talking about today, um, these are essays, and you talk about that. You talk about the quality of awareness that the poet brings to writing a poem, to creating a poem, and that it's possible to access that same quality of awareness ourselves when we you know, read the poem, which I, I thought was really, really beautiful. What inspired you to write the book, The Dharma of Poetry? Yeah, you know, well, I after after I published the anthology, and even actually even before I published the anthology, I was teaching those poems and teaching them in a spiritual context. Um, so I was talking about these poems and teaching them. And, and at a certain point, I felt like, I had so much I wanted to share, not just my insights about these poems, but my enthusiasm for these poems. That I, I mean, I love these poems, and I wanted to to share that love and and hopefully inspire that love for these poems or for other poems. But to just kind of bring that into the foreground. Um, so I had a lot to say that I wanted to share, and I also was very strongly motivated by um, wanting to offer and hopefully demonstrate a different way of reading poems where um, the analytical mind um, is kind of in the background and um, the, the more appreciative attention uh, comes into the fore foreground, comes forward and so instead of trying to kind of come up with an interpretation of what a poem means, which is, you know, typically the way poetry gets taught in, right. in schools, right. you know, we put, right. we go right to what does it mean? We skip, right. <laughs> we skip the pleasure of experiencing the poem and go right, you know, right to the to work of, of figuring it out. And I wanted to just, you know, present a different way of being with the poem and, and encourage people to kind of relax that need to figure out, need to know, and just to be, you know, find a way to be with the poem and enjoy it. Mm. You know, poems oh. are not written to be figured out. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not that's motivating poets, you know. Um, and so I really wanted people to, to find a way to experience poems more deeply and to relax around figuring it out. So when I teach, I invite people to enter the poems through the doorways of noticing and appreciating. Um, and that, you know, it, it's, it's really wonderful because even people who are kind of intimidated by poetry and feel like, oh, I need to say something smart or I don't get this, 
or I feel, you know, uncertain. Um, everyone can say what they like about a poem. You know, everyone can say, I love this line or this image or this made me think of this or I felt something really strongly when I got to this passage. Um, you know, that it, it's easy to be with a poem in that way. And then poems kind of come alive when we give them that kind of appreciative attention. So I really wanted to, um, it sounds like I'm on a crusade. For, <laughs> I'm not. But, but I, do, I do feel strongly about this. I feel like so many people have been turned off from poetry because they, they've been taught it in a way that it's all about figuring it out. And that, right. that just robs poetry of it. It's, it's vitality. Well, you wrote a lovely book. I really, really enjoyed it. And it's really a delight to have you on the show and to talk about it. In the book, you write, poems arise out of moments of heightened awareness. And as such, they have the power to heighten our own awareness as we read them. For to truly enter a poem requires mindful attention, an alertness, curiosity, and open-hearted responsiveness that is very much like the awareness we cultivate in meditation. I just love that line. I just love that line. For to truly enter a poem requires mindful attention, an alertness, curiosity, and open-hearted responsiveness that is very much like the awareness we cultivate in meditation. I would love for you to read a poem, share a poem with us, um, and or to, uh, if you want to elaborate at all on what I just read. Um, well, can I do both? Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, a, I mean, it's a, it's such a rich um, uh, area to explore. And I, you know, I just feel like in both poetry and meditation, you know, we're not trying to, well, in meditation, we're not trying to control our experience. We're not trying to interpret what's happening we're we're just practicing being with what's arising and so that there's a similar way we can be with poetry where we're we're not trying to figure it out we're we're being with what is arising in the poem and i feel like you know poems do come out of these states of heightened awareness and that awareness is still alive in the poem mm -hmm. and so can make contact with that when we bring our own awareness. And so there's this kind of wonderful alchemy when our own consciousness enters the field of consciousness that the poem has created and something really magical can, can happen there just on the level of consciousness and awareness. Um, so those are some of the ways I feel like that that's possible uh, in poetry and in, in our spiritual practice. But I, I, I do, um, there's a wonderful poem by William Stafford uh, that I talk about uh, in the essay on listening. And this seems like a great example of, of what, um, what, you, what you brought up. So I'll read that poem. Okay. Listening. My father could hear a little animal step or a moth in the dark against the screen. And every far sound called the listening out into places where the rest of us had never been. More spoke to him from the soft, wild night than came to us, that, that came to our porch for us on the wind. We would watch him look up and his face go keen till the walls of the world flared, widened. My father heard so much that we still stand 
inviting the quiet by turning the face, waiting for a time when something in the night will touch us too from that other place. That's really, really beautiful and really, wow, what what listening, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful that the poet is so attuned to the father's listening. So he's mm-hmm. he's bringing his own mindful attention to his father's mindful attention in the form of listening. And so we have a very sensitive, um, you know, kind of receptive awareness of the father's uh, receptive awareness. So there's a kind of doubling that happens in the poem. And yeah, I love the just the 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 depth and power of that that my father heard so much that we still stand inviting the quiet by turning the face waiting for a time when something in the night will touch us too from that other place and so interesting that he says touch us not that we will hear but Mm. something will touch us make contact from this other place which he also doesn't describe because you, you can't really describe it but the poem has that quality of, of, wow, if we listen, we can access this mysterious realm that is always present, but that we typically are not attuned to because we're caught in thinking or we're wrapped up in the things we need to do and our ways of moving through the world, um, which don't really allow for that. So poems can open us to that and can help us practice it and can give us a glimpse of it so that we might want more of it in our lives and think about ways that we can bring more of that into our lives. Yes, and I I have the poem because I have your book right here, so I have it in front of me, and I love the line, we would watch him look up and his face go keen till the walls of the world flared, widened. I mean, that's such a beautiful, beautiful description. Yeah, I, I love that too. I love that you can kind of see the father sort of the look of kind of relaxed concentration, but his face go keen, keen, Mm -hmm. listening. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, And then then open, everything opens, you know, it is kind of a boundary dissolving experience. The walls flare and widen. Everything gets big. Uh, The moment gets big. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. In chapter two of your book, uh, which is titled The Sacred Pause, you write, meditation allows us both to observe our habits of mind and to experience moments of spaciousness, breaks in the incessant flow of thought. Poetry presents another powerful way to disrupt the habitual momentum of the mind, its automatic reactions and obsessive self-concerns. So you're writing in this in this uh, chapter, this essay about the sacred pause, and you give a couple of, of poems that I thought were just so lovely. One of them is Robert Frost's most famous poem, and you describe it as a perfect example of the beauty of stopping. So I thought I would read that one now, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it's queer to stop without a farmhouse near 
between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. And again, you had described this as a perfect example of the beauty of stopping, about, you know, stopping. Um, you point out in your comments on the poem, you point out it's important to realize that the entire poem is predicated on the poet's decision to stop. No stopping, no poem, <laughs> which I thought was great. <laughs> so for you, how does this sacred, uh, how does this poem help to encourage us to take that sacred pause to stop and mm -hmm. to notice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, first of all, you read it beautifully. Um, that was really nice to hear you read it. Um, it took me right there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it does by giving us an example of it. So, you know, Frost isn't saying here's here's what one should do in such a situation. It's not explicitly recommending anything to us, but it is giving us an example of what can happen when we do stop and allow ourselves to um, deviate for a moment from the habitual uh, patterns, um, whether that's a literal pattern, a literal, you know, road, a path that we're on, you know, as he's on, uh, um, or the habitual patterns in the mind, that kind of, that sort of ceaseless ongoing momentum of thinking, um, which we all know is is very difficult to disrupt but but the poem gives us an example of that you know the, the woods are lovely dark and deep there's a sense of mysterious presence there that the poet becomes profoundly aware of because he stops and watches the woods fill up with snow mm. um it's it's a form of attention that is free of grasping um, the poet isn't wanting or needing anything from this experience. He's just witnessing it in this wonderfully receptive way. And, you know, I get, even talking about it, you know, it's just like the poem itself is, is the answer to that question. Um, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. But I, I also feel one of the things I say about the poem is that the poem itself becomes a kind of space where we can stop and let the mind rest. You know, we can enter this imaginative space that the poem gives us and pause there and savor what the poem is showing us. And that quality of savoring, I think, is really crucial of really taking it in, not gliding over like, oh, yeah, I've read this poem before. I know what happens, but really sinking into it, savoring it and appreciating what the poem is doing uh, even more than what it's saying. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I, like probably many of our listeners, was familiar with the poem. I'd heard it m probably many times before, but it was just lovely to think about the quality of attention that you'd been talking about and this idea of a, a sacred pause. Mm -hmm. 
An- another poem that you share in that same chapter, The Sacred Pause, is called A Blessing, and it's by James Wright. And I was wondering, maybe you would read that one for us. It's from page 20. Sure, I'd be happy to, yeah. A Blessing. Just off the highway to Rochester, Minnesota, twilight bound softly forth on the grass. And the eyes of those two Indian ponies darken with kindness. They have come gladly out of the willows to welcome my friend and me. We step over the barbed wire into the pasture where they have been grazing all day alone. They ripple tensely. They can hardly contain their happiness that we have come. They bow shyly as wet swans. They love each other. There is no loneliness like theirs. At home, once more, they begin munching the young tufts of spring in the darkness. I would like to hold the slenderer one in my arms, for she has walked over to me and nuzzled my left hand. She is black and white. Her mane falls wild on her forehead, and the light breeze moves me to caress her long ear that is delicate as the skin over a girl's wrist. Suddenly, I realize that if I stepped out of my body, I would break into blossom. Wow, that last line just really gets me. Suddenly, I realized that if I stepped out of my body, I would break into blossom. I mean, what a way of capturing that amazing feeling that the poem really really communicates. I had not been familiar with this one, so it was a real nice discovery for me from the book. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, that last line is 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 stunning. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well we're almost at the uh at the break. Um so I don't want to ask you quite another question, uh so we only mm-hmm. have about another um you know minute or so. Um but I, I do want to come back to this idea about the sacred pause and um, mm. and the feeling of the poems and also just um, you know what we can do with that in our in our own lives. Um, this idea about uh, non-separation. Yeah. And with that, yeah. you're listening to the Yoga Hour with author, poet, and teacher John Brem. The book we've been discussing is his most recent book, The Dharma of Poetry, which contains essays about deepening your spiritual practice through poetry. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at theyogahour.com. That's our website. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about poetry as spiritual teacher. We'll be right back. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. 
You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Practical Spirituality. Positive Messages. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour, insights and practices for spiritually conscious living. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of The Yoga Hour, and I'm here today with poet, author, and teacher, John Brem. You can find out more about John's books and programs at his website, johnbrempoet.com. And again, his last name is B-R-E-H-M, johnbrempoet.com. And John, we had a chance to chat a little bit over the break there, and um, we had to sort of end the last segment right after the you read the poem, A Blessing. And I think you had a few more things you wanted to say about it. Yes. I mean, there's so much to say about this poem. And there's a way in which, you know, that ending, you just want to let it be and not, you know, not sort of um, bring it into... Uh, you know, to paraphrase it, to bring it into, you know, kind of a prose explanation mm-hmm. of what those lines mean. Um, I've been thinking lately that, um, you know, the way that the Tao that can be named is not the true Tao, that the mm. poem that can be named or explained is not the true poem. So yeah. um, there is a way in which you get to lines like that and you just kind of let them, you know, into your awareness and be with them. And there is so much to say. One of the things that I noticed um, after I had read this poem and even taught it many, many times is that stepping out of my body, suddenly I realize that if I step out of my body, I would break into blossom, um, sudden illumination that he has. But earlier in the poem, they step over the barbed wire fence Mm -hmm. into the Mm -hmm. So there's an earlier stepping over and they're literally trespassing but it's a boundary dissolving moment. You know, they're, they're stepping over this boundary and that, that, that prepares the way for this, this much more luminous um, stepping uh, out of the body that the poem ends with. Mm. Um, and so it is a boundary dissolving poem. It is a way where it, it, it's a poem that shows us that these, these boundaries, these separations that we think are real can fall away in certain moments. Mm. Um, And I also, uh, and this didn't really hit me until I had read it many, many times. He he doesn't step out of his body. He he realizes realizes that if he did Mm -hmm. step out of, he would break into blossom. And that's just, it's just interesting that he he frames it in that way as Mm -hmm. something that could happen. Mm. And that feels needs to open the possibility, it feels mm-hmm. like somehow it feels right that it's, he doesn't say I did it, mm. uh, but that he knows that if he did do it, if he did step out of it, he would break into blossom. And then the richness of that metaphor is just something we can contemplate and feel into for ourselves. That would mean what that might mean for us. Like how would, how would that maybe manifest in our own lives? How would we step mm-hmm. out? of these limitations or this sense of separation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You write in your, in the writing that you do about the poem, you write, 
the poem is ultimately ultimately about non-separation. And the quote is, the dissolution of the boundary between human and non-human self and other body and spirit, which I I love that. I thought that was such a beautiful way of talking about this Mm -hmm. experience of oneness that you're talking about Mm -hmm. in the poem, that that dissolution of boundaries. and I, I, one of the things I really appreciate about the book is that you give these experiential exercises as well as the poems, and you're writing about the poems, your reflection about the poems, and I wanted for you uh, to share one of those with our listeners, and it does come from this chapter, The Sacred Pause, and it's an exercise where people can perhaps experience some of that sacred pause for themselves. So would you describe how to do the exercise, meditation, walking, slash stopping? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very simple meditation of um, just finding a place where you can walk, where you feel, you know, safe enough that you don't have to be super vigilant about your, your environment and it can be you know in nature wonderful but also can be done in the city i've done it in many different um urban settings um and just kind of walking at a at a slow but not an excruciatingly slow pace and just kind of letting your attention be open um you know sort of a soft focus and then kind of feeling what in your environment might call to you to pay more attention to it. And, you know, one of the ways I like to, to um, sort of prepare for that to happen is by attending to uh, things that have a neutral feeling tone, um, very ordinary objects that we don't typically look at. Um, so for me, when I'm walking in a city, uh, I might bring my attention to the hubcaps on cars and, and actually really look at them. Um, or the the lettering on street signs or you know cracks in the sidewalk uh bolts on fire hydrants these things that we never stop and really look at but when you do you know something kind of magical can happen you can start to feel into the aliveness of these things that we typically overlook and then when you find something that feels like it's sort of calling to you to just you know, just approach and really let your attention rest to stop, to let there be a pause and uh, to really let your attention rest and just to bring a kind of friendly um, awareness to what you're seeing, um, noticing, you know, as much as you can about it without thinking about it or telling a story, just being in relationship to it and noticing the quality of that relationship of you know, what you're seeing, how you're feeling about it, and treating it as if it could be aware of your own, aware that you're paying attention to it, mm-hmm. and almost like it's thanking you for like, oh, thank you for seeing me. No one ever looks at you. Know? <laughs> <laughs> have fun with it. And, um, and it can be quite delightful. You feel like you kind of make a friend with something that you walk by every day and don't mm-hmm. don't ever really look at or notice um and yeah it can it can really feel like a way of attuning to the world in a in a in a way that is quite rich and wonderful mm-hmm. yeah. and you mentioned you know that lasts for 
however long it lasts, that quality of attention, and then you can continue on, you know, with your walking and then stop again. So uh, I yeah. love that. I, I thought it was a really accessible way to yeah. experience what you're pointing to with these poems of the sacred pause, the stopping by woods on a snowy evening, the one where the, you know, the man is in the, is in the uh, field with the horses and, Anyway, I, I thought it was quite lovely way to bring home the point of this sacred, the sacred pause. Mm. In the book, in your book, The Dharma Poetry, in one of the essays, you write that poems can be both spiritual friends, companions on our path, and also spiritual teachers with teachings that are both simple and profound. And you give um, many ways on page five, you give many ways that poems can be uh, spiritual teachers. And I thought um, I would allow you to maybe read a few of those, share a few of those with our uh, listeners. Um, oh, sure. I'll read that passage on, uh, on page five. Um, yeah, okay. By focusing on what they're showing us, what poems are showing us, what ways of being in the world they're recommending, we see that poems can serve as spiritual teachers and the teachings they offer are both simple and profound. Pay attention, walk through the world with reverence and wonder, look closely at extraordinary experiences and even more closely at ordinary ones, see the likeness in seemingly dissimilar things, delight in the world, permanent delights, Feel into the joys and sufferings of others. Treat all beings with respect. Love the earth and know that you are not separate from it. Talk to animals, plants, rivers, mountains, trees. Listen for what they say back to you. These are elemental truths, the kinds of truth a child could understand, but which modern adults have been encouraged to forget. In the form of abstract imperatives, they may not move us very deeply, but to see them embodied and enacted in poems, um, given shape and texture and the rhythm and voice of a poem is an entirely different experience. I'll, I'll just stop there. I can mm. say more. That, but yeah. But I, 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 I love that list actually of how, mm. how um, poems can encourage all those things and thinking about them as, as spiritual teachers, mm. I thought was, was really, um, was just a beautiful way of describing it. Uh, look closely at extraordinary experiences and even more closely at ordinary ones. That was lovely. Um, did you want to share another poem uh, about, about this idea of poems as spiritual teachers? Yes, I'd love to. And um, it's hard to pick. There's, uh, <laughs> I'd love to share, but um, there's a Whitman poem um, that I, I think exemplifies this uh, this quality quite beautifully. It's called When I Heard the Learned Astronomer. It's on page 113 in the book, for those of you who might be listening along with the book uh, in your hands. When I Heard the Learned Astronomer. When I Heard the Learned Astronomer, when the proofs, the figures were ranged in columns before me, when I was shown the charts and diagrams to add, divide, and measure them. When I sitting heard the astronomer where he lectured with much applause in the lecture room, how soon unaccountable I became tired and sick till rising and gliding out, I wandered off by myself in the mystical moist night air and from time to time looked up in perfect silence at the stars. So 
I love so much about this poem, but you know, one of the ways I think of poems as being spiritual teachers is that they are exemplary. That is, they they give us examples of a ways of being in the world, ways of of thinking, feeling, behaving that we might wish to adopt as our own. Um, and this poem, I feel, does that really beautifully. So there's a certain kind of experience that Whitman rejects the lecture where uh, things are broken down into their parts, where there are charts and diagrams and uh, to add, divide and measure them. And um, the astronomer is given lots of applause and you, sense, you get a sense of pridefulness maybe um, in the presentation of how much the astronomer knows uh, the kind of knowledge that he has uh, discovered. Um, and, you know, Whitman says how soon unaccountable I became tired and sick. You know, he feels. <laughs> I like know, that. I like I, that line. <laughs> all right. And he used, it's wonderful that he uses unaccountable because it's the, what the astronomer is doing is all about counting and measuring and mm. charts and, and adding and dividing. Um, but yeah, there's a kind of, of, spiritual sickness that comes over him because of the way the beauty and mystery of, of the universe are being uh, talked about. And um, so what he does in re response to that is he gets up and walks out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm done with this. So, and the language is beautiful. So rising and gliding I wandered off by myself. The quality of wandering not doesn't have a destination and the solitariness of it. Um, and then in the mystical moist night air and from time to time looked up in perfect silence at the stars. So there's this kind of mystical communion with the stars rather than an abstract, you know, uh, reductive, uh, rational way of uh, relating to them. And so, you know, the poem isn't telling us that we should do anything. It's not, it's not explicitly saying how we should regard the stars or the natural world or whatever. It, sh it shows us. And I think that makes it really powerful that it, it embodies um, this way of being and, uh, and implicitly recommends it to us, I think. Earlier, you shared one of the poems from chapter six, which was it's called Listening. Uh, and in that chapter, you write poetry both arises from and invites states of deep listening. Poetry both arises from and invites states of deep listening. And in that it chapter, you share another poem. This one's by Denise Levertoff. And you describe it as a vivid example of mindful listening and an invitation to practice deep listening ourselves. And I thought I would share that one. It's called Aware. Mm -hmm. When I found the door, I found the vine leaves speaking among themselves in abundant whispers. My presence made them hush their green breath, embarrassed the way humans stand up buttoning their jackets, acting as if they were leaving anyway, as if the conversation had ended just before you arrived. I liked the glimpse I had, though, 
of their obscure gestures. I liked the sound of such private voices. Next time I'll move like cautious sunlight. Open the door by fractions. Eavesdrop peacefully. I just love that. I just love the. Uh, I love the, um, the. As you said, as you described it, this um, uh, quality of deep listening and uh, the invitation to practice deep listening ourselves. Um, I also liked your comment about the poem that that uh, while it might seem fanciful to attribute embarrassment, which is obviously a human emotion, to plants. Your quote is, we might also understand it as a playful way of suggesting that consciousness does not begin and end in the human brain, that we are not the only beings endowed with awareness or the ability to communicate, which I think the poem makes that that point so, so beautifully. Um, and so this strikes me as another example of the poem as spiritual teacher helping us to love the earth and know that we are not separate from it. Did you want to make any comments on this on this poem, Aware? Yeah, I mean, I, I also I love this poem. Um, it's there's just so much to to say about it. Um, but yeah, that, one of the things as I was reading it, uh, listening to you read it rather, the, the quality of of a glimpse. I liked the glimpse I had though of their obscure gestures. I like the sound of such private voices. The quality of, of hiddenness, of, of reticence of, of the, the vine leaves that they, um, and there's those, those rather humorous lines, the way humans, they were, they hushed their green breath, their green breath. I love that their breath is green. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Um, the way humans stand up, buttoning their jackets, acting as if they were leaving anyway, as if the conversation had just ended, or had ended just before you arrived. But she has this glimpse, um, and that feels to me so enticing. It feels like, oh, yes, there is this hidden realm, and the, the sacred um, has always been kind of a hidden and revealed at the same time, you know, it's a hidden or concealed and revealed at the same time. And she has a glimpse of that, just a taste of it. And that I think whets our appetite for attuning to this subtle world that we can't perceive if we're charging through the world the way we normally do um, and not paying attention. And you know, she recognizes that in order to hear more, next time I'll move like cautious sunlight, open the door by fraction, eavesdrop peacefully. So she she is aware, and it's interesting the poem is called Aware. It's really not so much a poem about the vine leaves, but about awareness. But she recognizes that if she is going to go more deeply into this realm, her listening will have to be more quiet, mm. more silent more peaceful and and that seems to me quite wonderful it's it's it almost feels like the poem is showing us how to do that like we have to quiet ourselves in order to hear more of what what what's happening in that sort of hidden realm um yeah and it's just yeah it's such a wonderful poem i love the the playfulness of it and 
and that it it it, it um, allows the plants to have the quality of consciousness and communication. And now scientists are discovering that that's actually quite true. What poets have known for millennia, mm. science is now catching up to, and plants do yes. communicate. With they yes, isn't that to. isn't that lovely? Isn't that I think that I've I've been delighted with uh, those developments to find out that yeah. they plants do actually communicate with each other. You know, <laughs> so yeah, nice. The were right all- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the other thing that you mentioned in the essay is um, so what happens? So she wanders on these vines, um, and what does it? what does it draw forth from her is a desire for her to be different, not for the plants to change what they're doing, but for her to change her own approach and to develop more of that stillness of that inner stillness in order to more fully engage with, with the plants. She's not demanding the plants engage with her. She's, she's softening uh, her own approach to the to the world <clears throat> in kind of a magical way. That's a great word for it, softening. And it's a kind of humility in in the relationship that she has that is so different from the arrogance with which we usually regard uh, than regard nature and the earth. I mean, you know, our, the way our culture um, largely sees the earth is quite different. And there's that quality of humility that she brings is is very refreshing. So we've got about uh, three more minutes to talk, and uh, I wanted to ask uh, for, in closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration you'd like to share with our listeners, which could either be another poem or could be something that you wanted to say about poetry as as spiritual practice. So your choice. Uh, Well, um, You know, let me, I'd like to read one of my own poems, if that's okay. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to hear a poem of yours. Okay. And I should mention to a, listeners that there are, you have several books of poetry out. So. Yeah, and this is from my most recent book called No Day at the Beach, but I'm also going to include it in a new manuscript that I'm just, just now finishing. It's called Something and Nothing. There's something to be said for having nothing to say, though I don't know what that is or isn't just as there's something to be known about not knowing, which I would tell you if I could. There must be something to be gained by losing, a seed of victory buried in every failure, else I would not be here. Clearly, there's something to be desired about being beyond desire, as the sages never tire of telling us. And nothing more fulfilling than emptying yourself out, no ground beneath your feet, nothing to hold on to, no handrail, no belief, only this bright self-sustaining air and a falling that feels like floating. That is lovely. It is really, really lovely. Thank you. I love the, the end, the falling that feels like floating. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, the sense that, you know, there there is no ground. I think, I think it was Trumpa who said, the good news is, no, the bad news is there is no ground. The good news is, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the bad news is that we, there is no parachute. The good news is there is no ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I had not heard that. <laughs> uh, something and nothing. Is that right? Is that the title? 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 beautiful. Always that line about um, there's something to be. Uh, it's about knowing. Something to be known about not knowing, which I would tell you if I could. Yes, that's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we've come to the end of the program. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. We've been discussing Deepen Your Spiritual Practice Through the Dharma of Poetry. And my guest has been John Brem, author of the book we've been talking about today, The Dharma of Poetry. You can find out more information about John Brem at his website, John Brem poet.com and again b-r-e-h-m is how he spells his last name john um thank you so much john for joining me today on the yoga hour it's really been delightful i've, I've enjoyed our our conversation about poetry and about how it relates to our spiritual practice oh thank you laura i've i've, I've enjoyed it immensely too i've just been wonderful to spend this time with you thank mm. you so much mm. We are going to be publishing uh, John Brem's information and, of course, as always, a recording of this program on our website, theyogahour.com. I also wanted listeners to know about the many online programs that are offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, which is the sponsor of this show. Uh, currently, CSE is offering daily online meditations in the morning from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. and in the afternoon from 4 to 4.30 p.m. We also offer a Sunday satsang from 10 to 11 each week, and all those times are Pacific times. Um, there is an upcoming uh, online Dharma meditation retreat called Live Your Higher Purpose from January 20th to 22nd. This is 2022. Registration is still open online at csecenter.org. You can learn more about online programs at csecenter.org or ellengraceobrien.com. That is uh, Ellen Grace O'Brien's author website. Join us next time on The Yoga Hour when my guest will be Kate Stillman, and we will be discussing the rhythm of life, thriving with yoga and Ayurveda. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. You can subscribe, and we hope you do, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Assistant producers Ann Hayes and Mickey Coronado and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at Unity Online Radio. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 